Good morning. It is Monday, June 1st, and this is Community Pulse, your local report on the coronavirus pandemic in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse Thursday, Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. on KOPN. And all episodes can be found online at KOPN.org and on our Facebook page. Today on Community Pulse, we have a lot of ground to cover. Over the past week, a surge in Boone County COVID cases has been reported. Storms and flooding around the world and in the United States pose new uncertainties for staying safe in the midst of a pandemic. And we'll discuss the effects of tear gas on respiratory health after many protesters across the country have been affected by the, quote, riot control agent. As always, we are joined by Dr. Elizabeth Alleman to help us make sense of these topics. She's a local family physician and host of Your Health Matters here on KOPN. Good morning, Elizabeth. And it looks like we may have lost her. Let me see just a second. Alrighty, I think she's on the line. Elizabeth, can you hear us? Yeah. Awesome. I can. Good hear morning. You now. Sorry about that. How great. are you doing? I'm doing great. So, um, are we ready to get started? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, just to start out with the numbers, um, it's really pretty staggering. Um, Six point three million people in the United in the world, not in the United States. Bad enough. Don't make it worse. 6.3 million people in the world have documented coronavirus, and uh, 374,000 people have died. And um, almost 3 million people have recovered or are recovering. In the United States, what we see is uh, almost 1.8 million people have documented infection with 104,000 deaths and 385,000 people are recovering. In Missouri, um, uh, we have 13,354 current cases with 786 deaths. Um, And some interest, let's see, in Boone County, we have, um, oh, I just clicked out of that, sorry, Uh, 152 cases. So we've had a, a a little uptick during over the last week we you know hovered around 100 cases for a while and now we're um have increased by that by 50 percent which seems a big jump um uh in the saint joseph area the uh, buchanan county has 692 cases and in st louis st louis county has almost 5,000 cases and st louis city has almost 2,000 cases so and down in the boot heel, we're still seeing um, Mississippi and New Madrid are uh, increasing numbers. Um, so those are concerning uh, things to look at. Uh, County, and in general, sort of what is the trend? Um, we have had a declining trend since the beginning of the month. Which sort of stabilized off. We had an in look like we were going up for a second peak, or actually would have been our, like our third peak. But that seems to be leveling off. So we'll see what happens with um, loosening of regulations and people doing things like um, 
uh, you know, going to parties and being outside together and being inside together. So we're just going to have to see how that plays out. Um, but of course, all of us have in our news feeds and in our attention the unrest and the outdoor gatherings of people who are protesting or rioting or looting or uh, doing mass actions or whatever word you want to use, they're all loaded. Uh, but what we know is that people are coming together. Um, they're coming against a an armed police force. There have been some injuries and deaths because of those people coming together. And almost certainly we're going to see increased COVID cases in another couple of weeks because of these comings together. How many will be able to attribute to the fact that people are protesting and gathering in this way and how much is related to people doing less social distancing will be impossible to figure out. But there's that. It, it's an interesting thing that when people are gathering in this way um, to express their discomfort and unhappiness with um, the way our uh, police forces work, um, many of them are finding that there are additional reasons to wear masks. So some people are actually wearing um, what look like gas masks, um, the actual respirators to protect them from uh, uh, tear gas and other respiratory irritants. Some of them are wearing them to disguise their appearance. And some people are, of course, wearing them because they would like to prevent, reduce their chance of getting um, COVID-19. Um, let's see, uh, a little bit more, well, I'm just gonna stay with this tear gas thing. It turns out that when we look at the data, there was an interesting study done actually in Fort Jackson, California, uh, uh, South Carolina, not far from where I grew up in 2014. And uh, military recruits at Fort Jackson are consistently exposed to tear gas as a part of their training. And they, these people looked at the incidence of respiratory illness in the week or two after that exposure compared to the background. Um, and the people who were exposed to tear gas had a double the incidence of respiratory infection. Now, we would expect that their exposure to the viruses, there's probably, we would think that'd be a background consistent. So once you've gotten um, uh, exposed to tear gas, then... Um, uh, what it seems to indicate is that either people are more likely to develop the infection from exposure or the infection is m more serious and enough for them to go get um, medical treatment. So that's an interesting thing. It seems like um, an unfortunate timing of uh, exposing people to tear gas. I did not realize that tear gas is considered chemical warfare, and there are um, international laws against using it against military forces. But those international laws also agreements allow for the use of uh, these respiratory irritants by police forces against civilian populations, which initially, you know, that seems like, wow, that's kind of an interesting policy. But I guess that it's an idea that these are less lethal forces than shooting people. There have been deaths from tear gas, but the idea is that a military is planning on using lethal force and a police is attempting to avoid using lethal force by using tear gas. I um, think that I will leave that to other experts. The ACLU is calling not for a 
end to the use of tear gas, but rather for all law enforcement agencies to use de-escalation techniques before they use tear gas. Um, and the CDC has a nice um, uh, description about how to decontaminate yourself if you have been exposed to these. And of course, the first thing they say is to leave the uh, area. Um, there's no antidote. Um, uh, you want to wash the um, eyes out with water or saline. Um, and uh, people should have their clothes taken off and you shouldn't have your clothes removed over your head. So if you would have to take a shirt off over your head, the recommendation is that it would be cut off. Um, so, and that uh, then the person would shower. Um, Usually the um, discomfort, the immediate discomfort uh, resolves in 30 minutes to an hour, but there have been reports of long-term uh, health problems after exposure to tear gas. So that's what I want to say about tear gas. I wish that we didn't have to talk about it at all, but we are. <sighs> so... Michigan and Bangladesh have seen storms and flooding, and so then people have to be evacuated from their homes, which is problematic because it's hard to evacuate people and then still keep them away from each other. Um, and I just, my uh, hat is off to all the people who are trying to figure all of that out. Um, locally, there have been a couple of cases of employees at a Schnucks grocery store, and my concern about that is that people will say, oh, well, then I won't shop at Schnucks as if we can be sure that that's not happening at other grocery stores. With the level of testing we're doing, especially with asymptomatic people right now, we don't know where the cases really are. So I think that what that doesn't say, that says is not that Schnucks is a place where you could get COVID. It's that a grocery store is a place that you might be able to get COVID. Um, also cases at the clip joint and, uh, which is a, Salon and Tiger Tots, which is a daycare center, and it, I don't even, I'm not even going to say anything about it, but it is a weird coincidence that those two businesses, the Clip Joint and Tiger Tots, were ones that were involved in uh, considering a lawsuit against the county, uh, Boone County, because of their, um, the restrictions they were placing on their businesses. Um, and it is, it is a Best I can tell, these are not cases that indicate that people got it at that place, but that people who were at that place had the infection. Which just, just brings us to this difficulty of trying to blame people for getting sick, and I don't like it, and I think we shouldn't do it. I also don't want to criticize or call out people who are filmed partying outside, uh, I shouldn't say partying, uh, congregating outside, because I think then what we'll do is we'll drive those parties inside and that will make them more dangerous. So I think we need to bring these concepts of um, risk reduction and harm reduction like we have for HIV, for um, uh, drug use uh, to this as well. And that is we need to encourage people to do things that they're going to do anyway as safely as possible. So if people are going to convene, um, it would be better if they weren't drinking alcohol because that changes our risk-taking and our judgment. And it would be, but it would be better if they're outside. Um, so uh, and it'd be better if it was smaller groups and it'd be better if they could stay apart. But some people are going to get together and they're going to drink alcohol and they're going to get close to each other. 
Um, and so if we could encourage people to do that outdoors, that will be better for all of us. And so filming them and publicly shaming them may not be our best strategy. And uh, today starts the uh, community testing at Hickman High School that is being administered by the National Guard. So it's an interesting thing that we have the National Guard setting up at Hickman High School to swab people's noses when we have this other reason that the National Guard is on alert. And um, I have an appointment to get my nose swabbed tomorrow, and I am feeling conflicted about doing that, but not very much. So if people have an opportunity to get tested, I would encourage people to get tested. Sadly, all of the appointments for this community testing are um, full the last I checked. So so that's my update, Mallory. Great. Yeah, I, I, I'd love to talk just a little bit more about, um, about this, you know, case in the Ozarks that, um, is, has, has been traced to Boone County. Right. Um, and not in a way to instill any fear or anything like that, but just to say that, um, the more we know about these events, if they're super spreader events or if they're just, you know, little get togethers, the better, because then we can can do this tracing and figure out what kinds of risks um, it has posed to our local community. Is there anything right. else you want to say about just that that whole well, event? Yeah, just to be clear. So this person um, apparently is a Boone County resident who who went to the Lake of the Ozarks and went to several public venues, some inside and some outside, um, during their weekend and got sick, uh, started to have symptoms on Saturday. So this person almost certainly did not get COVID-19 at the Lake of the Ozarks, but rather this person had it and brought it to the Lake of the Ozarks and um, I'm going to guess probably didn't feel so bad when they went. Um, and maybe, I don't know whether they're feeling sorry about it or not. That's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. I think that us um, encouraging people to do things more safely is a great thing. Um, but the truth is that almost certainly, given the number of people who were there, it statistically was really unlikely that there wasn't someone who had it. And if we know about one person who was symptomatic, statistically, there was probably at least one other person there without symptoms. Mm-hmm. Because we think, we don't know, what is it, apparently some, some organization came out recently saying that the percentage of asymptomatic cases is anywhere between 4 and 80%, which is not a helpful range. We already knew it was somewhere between zero and 100%, mm-hmm. and this does not reduce the range very much. Right. So um, that is basically saying we do not know. Um, and I'm going to guess if we know about one symptomatic person, there are probably several others who were symptomatic that um, either don't know it yet, didn't get tested, um, isn't telling people what they did because they're embarrassed and ashamed of it. So almost certainly there were several people there and there were probably several people at other parties. It's Memorial day. People got together at other places besides Blackwater Jacks. Mm -hmm. Um, That's just the place that we got filming and um, press reports. 
so I am concerned about the number of people who are now going to plan their next event indoors Mm -hmm. so that they won't be filmed. Mm -hmm. And again, it's this tricky thing of, of course, the press has a right to report things. And if you're going to do things outside, there's no expectation of privacy and all of that. But I'm... Uh, Yeah. And right now, the United States does not have uh, the tracking apps that we've seen in some other countries where people could voluntarily uh, put an app on their phone that will ping with other phones and remember for three or four weeks which phones you've been close enough to that you might have had a transmission. And then if that person becomes positive, they can put that on their phone and then and somehow, through the magic of technology, um, it would say that you would let you know that you perhaps should go and get tested. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have a lot of concerns about those for civil liberties reasons, and I mm-hmm. totally get it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yet, I think that that ought to be something people can choose to do if they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that it will help with tracking. So if you read about this story, you can just see how difficult it would be for the health department to track that this person went to, I think, two or three restaurants and uh, that bar and another bar, I think, and the rest, uh, grocery store. I can't remember, but went yeah. to several public places where, you know, nobody took people's names and phone numbers mm-hmm. when they came and went. And, and I could understand people wouldn't want to do that. Um, so how do we let people know? So the way we've let people know is there's now a press release, and if you read about it in the paper and you can remember where you were, you can go get tested. Mm. So mm-hmm. uh, It just goes to show that once we start to have large gatherings, um, uh, contact tracing gets to be um, really difficult. Right, yeah, and we don't really even, to begin with, have the infrastructure to be doing uh, robust contact tracing, is, is my understanding, right? Um, you know, Stephanie Browning, who's the director of the health department, says that they're fine. Um, okay. I'll just have to say that people who I know who are contacts are not getting what seem to me to be timely contacts from the health department. So Jenny Chadwick has been very um, open about the fact that her she had a household member that uh, was a contact, and it took 48 hours before anybody from the health department contacted that person. Hmm. And it was only after Jenny sent um, emails to uh, the health department and uh, city council members. Wow. Um, So they say they're doing great, and I hope that they are. We certainly need them to be doing a great job. But we, Missouri is, I think, 49th in the nation or 50th in the nation in public funding of public health. Mm -hmm. So that leaves our public health officials in a difficult place. Mm -hmm where they have to talk to the people who decide how much funds they are, and they need to tell them, yeah, we're doing a great job, because if you say we're doing a terrible job, then how do you get more money? Right, right. Anyway, yeah. so I, again, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to cast a doubt on anybody's public statements, but I think that we need more money into the health department, and we need more contact tracers. Mm-hmm. And volunteers and physicians are not our best choice. We need people who are paid and trained. Yeah. 
can I ask you one more question? Do you have time? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So something that that I read over the weekend that really concerned me was in an article from the Columbia Missourian, and it says that um, in the past week, Boone County has reported 25 new cases, which is the amount of cases that were reported for the entire month of April. Um, Mm -hmm. And they cite the city of Columbia's COVID-19 information hub. That's what they say. Um, Is that something to be really concerned about? I mean, in the, in the, beginning of this segment, you had talked about how we're on a downward trend, right? Um, in Missouri. In, Mis- yeah. in Missouri. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just, I felt some fear creep up in myself when I read that uh-huh. and, and just wondering what, any insights that you have. Yeah. So Mallory, we've got what, two or 300,000 people in Boone County. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't know what these numbers mean. Does that mean that we're doing better testing? Does that mean we've got a right. better informed public public does that, I think one of the things that means is that we're testing everybody before they get admitted to a hospital. Um, and I don't like the trend up. Like if we continue, you know, it's one of those logarithmic increases that if it was just we're going to go up arithmetically by 25 cases every week, that's not going to be that big of a deal. But if we're going to, you know, multiply by 25 every week, that's going to be a different thing. So, um this is a trend we have to watch. I think that our great fortune here in central Missouri uh, may be uh, uh, coming to an end. Hmm. And I want to remind people that we did all of the social distancing at great cost to everybody's mental health and financial health in order to do one thing, and that was not to keep me or you or any particular person from getting it, but to flatten the curve. So we are all, until we get a vaccine, we've either got to shelter in place or we've got to get it. But we don't all want to get it at the same time. We saw what everybody needing toilet paper at the same time did to our toilet paper supply. Mm -hmm. If we do that to our need for ventilators, it will be way more hard on us. Mm-hmm. And so we we are going to get it. I don't want anybody to feel complacent, but we are we are doing this social distance, this physical distancing so that we can all get it slowly, not all at one time. And so we can protect our vulnerable people. Mm-hmm. So as much as I'm participating in the public testing, I wish that we were using that many tests to test everybody in a nursing home and everybody who works in a nursing home because those are our vulnerable people. Um, but I'm, I'm, not the, I'm not the director of public health, and I don't want to be. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for sharing so your welcome. insights today. Um, anything else you want to leave our listeners no. with? Tomorrow, I want to talk a little bit about the science. There's some interesting information about uh, SARS-CoV and its impact on the blood vessels and um, talk about some uh, lifestyle and uh, healthy living things that we might be able to do to make our blood vessels a little bit healthier. No data that that would help, but it seems it seems like a logical thing to do. So mm-hmm. that's what I want to talk about tomorrow. Great. Great. All right. Thank All right. You so I'll much. talk to you then. Thank you. Okay, bye. That's it for today's edition of Community Pulse. You can catch Community Pulse Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. and later in the day at kopn.org and on our Facebook page. 
As always, we want to know what questions, comments, and insights you have to share related to coronavirus. Leave a message for us at 573-874-1139 or email gm at kopn.org. And once again, I want to remind our listeners to tune in in a few days on Wednesday, June 3rd for our one-day pledge drive. We've been preparing some special programming for you, and you'll hear many of your favorite programmers sharing why KOPN is so special to our community here in Mid-Missouri. We hope you can make a secure online donation at kopn.org or give us a call at 573-874-5676 to pledge your support online. Thank you so much for listening. Up next is an abridged version of Background Briefing with a little bit of music probably following this um, before Background Briefing begins. Hope you have a great Monday.